Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast, the series that helps you to better understand and manage your experience of anxiety with me, Caroline Foran. This week, I am joined by the wonderful Claire Walsh, best-selling author and free diver. I watched the Deepest Breath documentary on Netflix, somewhat of an anxiety-inducing documentary given the nature of it, um, and it is really quite sad, but it also really moved me and expanded my horizons in terms of how we all differ when it comes to finding the thing that helps to downregulate our personal stress response. For many people, the idea of plunging down into the darkest depths of the sea in one single breath without all of the breathing paraphernalia would be enough to send them into a state of panic. It is certainly not for everyone and it requires major training and experience and it's super high risk. But for those who describe themselves as freedivers, this activity can be how they manage their stress and anxiety. I can't explain it very well because it's not at all my thing. Uh, I don't even think I can comfortably put my head underwater in a swimming pool. But Claire Walsh describes the magic of it so beautifully. Here she tells her story and what she's learned from her breath in the water that she can apply to her life on dry land. Also, I have recently launched a substack where I'm sharing a weekly column. Anxiety will of course be a regular theme, but there will also be discussions around parenting and work and relationships, such as how I've managed to build a really reliable revenue stream from podcasting. You can sign up if you're interested and you want a little bit more than the podcast at carolineforan.substack.com. Some content is free to read, but you can pay the price of a fancy cup of coffee per month to read the juicier stuff. It is entirely reader funded. For now, enjoy this episode. Claire Walsh, thank you so much for joining me on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. Um, it's great to have you. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> you are, I'm sure you get this a lot, just an incredibly fascinating woman. Uh, very impressive for for many reasons, all of the incredible achievements and records that you've, you've smashed. Um, and for me, something that I find the most impressive is how you take that experience and articulate it into something that 
someone like I can digest and understand. Um, I'll never do it. I'm never going to be a free diver. You kind of humanize it in a, in a way, I suppose. Um, so for people who aren't familiar, can we start by just talking a, bit, a little bit about who you are and how you got the, the kind of journey you went on to get to being this, the author of this book? Sure. So my name is Claire Walsh and I, I suppose I'm known for being a free diver. Um, that's something that I'm having difficulty with at the moment because I'm not doing it. Okay. Um, and it's really funny when something becomes sort of attached to your identity or what you're known for and you're not doing it and have no plans to do it in the near future. It's a real kind of conundrum to how you feel about yourself. But yeah, I I, I do free dive or I have free dived. Um, I did a couple of national records and uh, in March I had my first book published and my book is called Underwater, How Holding My Breath Taught Me to Live. Love it. And I, I suppose for me, so free diving is enjoying a surge in popularity. Lots of people are meeting it for the first time thanks to the documentary on Netflix, Deepest Breath. And if you haven't watched it, uh, I recommend. Oh, wow. It's really beautiful. Well, that's what, I mean, while I was watching it, I was like, I need to talk to Claire because for me, it was this light bulb moment of, oh, hold on a minute. This thing that a lot of people are looking at and watching with their breath held so anxiously thinking I could never, ever do this for some people can become and maybe it can be it could be free diving for someone. It could be something else for someone else can become a source of actually like not just something to make you feel lots of anxiety, which might sound like why would anyone want that? But it can kind of quell it for you and and seeing what it meant to these people in the documentary and their life and how this this stillness and this how your thoughts can't run wild when you're underwater. It just opened my eyes to different ways that people find to perhaps manage the stresses of life. So, for, yeah, I guess for that reason, people are now like, hold on a minute. What is what is this? It's not just necessarily about doing something dangerous or crazy. There's there's a lot of method to it and a lot of uh, benefits mentally from you. So, yeah, take me back to to when you started to realize you enjoyed that. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head with so many things there. Um, in fact, I'm going to bring you on all the other podcasts I do. You've <laughs> <laughs> articulated really, really well. You know, people are meeting free diving and certainly the words that come up again and again for free diving are dangerous and extreme. And I suppose I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't an element of danger. Of course there is. You're underwater, you're holding your breath. But I think what to focus on that, what people are missing then is the why. Mm -hmm. I think Laura, who's the director, I think that's what she captured actually really well. The why, why we're drawn to this. For me, the this is freediving. For the people in the film, it's freediving. But for other people, it can be knitting. It can be crocheting, it can be art, it can be running, it can be playing chess online. I don't know. I think, you know, I, I do a lot of talks and a lot of it is about finding something that fires your soul, that, you know, sets you alight a little bit. And I suppose I'll, I'll explain a little bit why and how freediving did it for me. <clears throat> um, It was 2014. I was at the end of it. I was working for Lambert Puppet Theatre. So if you... If, if freediving wasn't um, out there enough, I worked as a puppeteer for years. <laughs> Seriously, or how do I write a CV that tries yeah. to encompass all this? Well, you definitely <laughs> stand out if you were looking for a job. <laughs> oh, gosh. Jack of all trades. Um, so I was working as a puppeteer. Um, 
<clears throat> and I remember it was the Christmas season and Christmas season was absolutely chaotic. We were doing a couple of shows a day, so many kids, so many. It's behind you and it's high energy. It's performative. And those bits in between, I found myself really, really depleted. So I remember I was parked. I'd gone for a little drive. I was parked in Clorinda Park in Dunleary. And it was absolutely lashing rain. It was it was December. And I just, oh my gosh, I remember it as clearly as if it was a picture in front of my eyes. I remember thinking, I can't. I just can't. And I don't know exactly what I'm referring to with that can't. But it's that sense of, oh, gosh, I need a change. I can't keep going on this sort of rabbit wheel, you know, this hamster wheel, because it is depleting my energy, my mental resources, my emotional resources, and I'm not getting enough back at this stage. So that same Christmas, I started flirting with the idea of going traveling. Um, My brother Matt had gone to Columbia the summer before. So, you know, that was kind of my radar. So I remember it was like, you know, Christmas drinks, Christmas Eve. And I said it for the first time aloud, testing to see how it sound. I think I'll go traveling through South America on my own. And then just watching people go, sure, you will, Claire. You know, I'm just seeing what it sounded like outside. And sure enough, um, New Year's Eve, I booked a ticket and I was gone within four weeks. And that really kicked things off. So I was in my early 30s. I was single back living with mum and dad because the landlord had kicked us out, was moving back in. You know, it's quite a familiar pattern for people. Um, I was feeling kind of rudderless. A lot of my my colleagues, my friends were meeting their partners, getting engaged, having babies, buying houses, moving on to their second career. And I kind of felt like I had a battered Ford and a boot full of puppets and sheet music. I'm also a singer and loads of stained travel mugs. So it felt like such a stark contrast that I couldn't get my shit together. Excuse the language. Um, So it's a really, really disempowering, really kind of flat place to be in. So I dealt with it by traveling, which is totally kicking the can down the road. But on this travel I remember chatting to Matt, my brother, and, you know, we were talking about the different things that you can do and experience and places to go. And we kind of came up with this idea, or maybe he did, maybe I did, um, of just saying yes, playing the yes game. Wow. You want to come with me on a boat to the Sandblast Islands? Yes. I'm not sure who you are, but okay. I met you yesterday <laughs> in the hostel, but let's go. You know, this attitude of stop second guessing, stop overthinking, just doing, just saying yes. And, you know, you keep a couple of no cards in the back pocket for safety reasons, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but that's the kind of headspace I was in. So I was trying scuba diving. I was trying windsurfing. And you weren't, were you weren't like a, a big underwater person before? No. Like, you, were you a competent swimmer? Yeah, yeah. I would have kind of start, started to compete. I would have competed a little bit uh, when I was around 15 and trained quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, yes, competent swimmer, comfortable in water. And um, uh, kind of grew up around the sea, despite living in Kildare. Um, so this is kind of the the theme of the trip: was trying all these kind of things, but also trying, you know, mountain biking and paragliding. We'll never say yes to that one ever again. Um, and then, you know, I found myself being drawn more towards snorkeling trips and back to scuba diving and things that surrounded water. Um, so. At that point, there's kind of two points that stick out in my head. So the second one, um, which led to free diving, was I was on a snorkeling trip in Belize 
And, you know, you meet up with groups of people, um, you're best friends with them for 24 hours and then they go off on their way. So I was with a group of Australian lads and they're super in water. And I watched three of them kick down and they went into like a little cave and then they came out the other side. And I thought this looked brilliant and terrifying and I kind of wanted to keep up and I tried but couldn't. You so tried to go down with just your breath. I tried to go down with them, but my ears got sore. And I just, I then was like, how come they can do it? And I can't. So, you know, we're having beers later on. And I'm sure not as nonchalantly as I hoped, asked them, you know, so what is this? How can you do it? Why can't I, essentially? And they explained it was free diving and that you could do courses in it. And I... Like, I remember that evening then looking up, where can I do freediving? And the nearest place was an island called Utila, uh, which is an island off Honduras. So the day after that, I booked a boat, a train, a plane uh, over to Utila and did my very first freediving course and was hooked. So much of what you described there would already not have happened for, for me and I guess for a lot of people listening because just even the fear and the anxiety of that much unknown or being open to not knowing what tomorrow is with a plan or going off on your own. And I, I, I'm i so admirable of your, and I guess, I suppose you can't really be brave unless you you start off being afraid. Like, did you feel like you're being brave or was it just something you were comfortable with doing? It like, there's a chapter in kind of the center point of my book, because that point in Clorinda Park at the end of 2014 in December, I feel like I reached that point a couple of times in the last, I'm 40 now, in the last 10 years. And it's always the sense of I'm so afraid that things might always be like this. It's fear. My world has actually moved to be quite small and I feel quite boxed in and I'm just terrified that this is it that I'll always feel like this, that I'll always feel like I can't quite catch up on myself, whether that's in my career, in my personal life, and or even just in terms of mental energy. Um, and then, you know, so the, the, there's this kind of a center turning point in my book and the chapter is called Fear. And it's about, you know, what it does to us, but also the freedom it can give us because nothing is worse than than that feeling of nothing changes if nothing changes. So you know what? I got to set my world alight. Like there is a certain freedom to it. Now it's terrifying. It is, you know, pain and stomach level of terrifying imposter syndrome, self-doubt, you know, all these kind of things. But I think it has been bad enough to know that I never want to stay in that place. So in a way, hitting what for you felt like at that time your mental kind of rock bottom this sounds super cliche but it's it's kind mm. of there's some sort of comfort in that that there's nowhere else to go but like that's a rock solid foundation in which you're now just going to use as a springboard to jump upwards and um build build upon that was anxiety something that you felt was a feature of your life up until you found free diving um that's a good question actually i'm going to give the short answer no but I would have been best friends with anxiety's cousin, depression. Um, and, and you know, I wouldn't have termed it as anxiety, but it, it's a different, it's a, I used to experience like a, a highly charged depression 
um, restlessness, unease. You know, I have a history of mental illness. So I suppose it is important to note underpinning all this is mental illness uh, from my early 20s up until mid 30s, I suppose. And it still impacts me on a daily basis, but not to the same extent. Um, and I would have been under doctor's care. There was hospital stays. There was diagnoses, plural, uh, medication, you know, so I was definitely caught up in that. You know, I, I was a patient for about six years. I was a patient and kind of my full time job was recovery. Um, so by the time I got to 2014, I think I was doing like, a, a, I guess, an outpatient course, you know, CBT. So there would have been lots of. Um, I associate that period with learning tools. You know, so meditation is often brought up, uh, mindfulness, um, you know, so you must try yoga. You need to be in the moment, Claire. You should go for walks. But a euro for every single time I was recommended to walk, I would fund whatever free diving trip I wanted, you know, but actually, and it's funny, I still have the same visceral reaction to that and it's frustration and I, I always just felt like my feelings were being dismissed. But it's funny, what attracted me to freediving was all those components. Breath. So a really big part of freediving, despite the fact that you're holding your breath, is how you breathe beforehand. So the goal is to lower your heart rate, to switch from fight or flight into rest and digest. So naturally to slow the body down, you're lowering your heart rate, you're slowing down your thoughts, you're letting go of those little stories that we tell ourselves all the time. I can't do this. What if, uh, you know, all that that spiraling, you know, you try and shut that off to some extent. So you're learning all these mental tricks as well as the physical um, acts, I guess, of of bringing your body into a state of neutrality or calm. And then you dive and <laughs> it is the most blissful experience of being in the moment. And I found myself over the next couple of years when I was training and if I had a goal in mind, maybe it was a competition, maybe it was a number, maybe it was just to be better than yesterday, or maybe it was to impress a really cute guy and the boy to in the training, training water, whatever, you know, whatever my motivation was, sometimes that would creep in and it would thwart the calm. The little mantra that I think I stole from another diver far more experienced than I was just this moment, just this moment, just this moment. And it's a really nice way of kind of going like, this is all that exists. And then this, and then this. So essentially what you're describing, what I'm describing is mindfulness, to be in the moment without judgment, without attaching stories. So suddenly freediving is tricking me into practicing all these things that were making me feel so much better about life. Um, and that became kind of the carrot to it, that you know, something that I benefited hugely when I was on land, when I wasn't actively freediving. But it also meant to become better at freediving, I had to become better at these things too. So it kind of, it came together. There's so much in what you say there that I, I want to jump back to. Um, But something that struck me from watching the documentary was, aside from the super intense mindfulness, I mean, you have 
it's not safe for you to be anywhere but the moment in the moment when you're doing that what struck me about the the female athlete in it what was her name again Alicia Alicia as much as she was able to achieve that expert level of like ninja level of calm to just then go to go down and, and like you know to achieve that when she was out of the water then it was straight back to wrestling with this competitiveness with herself or I need to do better onto the next thing onto the next thing and it was such a dichotomy there for me of like achieving this this presence and, and stuff but then when you're actually on land quite a lot of anxiety about like that never being enough like the goalposts always shifting always onto the next thing to the point that where it did seem to become like dangerous to me was that it wasn't just about the mindful act if you get so into it it, it for, for a lot of people what it came across like is that it, it's not just about the act but constantly bettering that last dive and then Barry my husband said to me like how does this end if you know there's obviously only so much the body can take so like if you get to 100 meters you get to 110 meters or if you know at some point the, another meter is, is life or death right for what your body can take and the the, the mindfulness of it was kind of the, the, the doing it for the sake of it was lost in the competitiveness I suppose and the constantly wanting to better yourself and, be, and maybe in a way what what became like an antidote to stress and anxiety in someone's life started to like be the reason for it as well yeah like the answer is I don't have the answer um so firstly I can't speak for Alicia but I like like she is uh like to say tremendous athlete just seems so paltry to describe her she is otherworldly you know what she can and has achieved something I can't even fathom but I do understand that like when is it enough mm. and that perfectionism which becomes because it could be called like that kind of sport becomes so measurable and it becomes so granular I guess I'm not freediving at the moment so what does that do for my sense of self my sense of being or how I put myself out in the world it definitely impacts it so what do I jeopardize what I'm building you know my life in Ireland to go and pursue it just to you know so I got COVID in uh, in January 2021 and you know this is kind of documented in my book but I I got COVID and then I got long COVID and that had a huge impact on my lungs and still does. Wow. So there was a time when I didn't know if I could free dive again. And it's it's really funny. You know, I, I wasn't able to walk. I'm sorry, I'm looking out the window. <laughs> uh, I wasn't able to walk down my apartment out to my car. But what I was worried about, would I be able to free dive again? To the point where my husband was like, I think we need to kind of lower our expectations at this point. So not being able to free dive again, not being able to compete um, because that's something that I definitely want to do more of. But then not being able to free dive again made my soul so sad. That idea of, okay, you suddenly realize, well, if I can't compete, big deal. But please somehow let me free dive again. And um, last year in March, March and April, I went out. And it was my first time. I'd gotten the all clear from doctors. I'd had, you know, scans and MRIs and lung function tests tests to make sure that it was safe for me to do so so I went back in the water and I could do it so my body remembered yeah. and I remember I was wearing a mask and uh, I remember that split moment where I think oh shit my my mask is a leak because there's salt water in it it wasn't I was bawling and just didn't realize um I that that sense of 
suddenly, I suppose it's perspective. Okay, if I'm not able to compete, that's fine. But at least I can do this. And actually, it 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 crystallizes what the sport means to you. And the sport means calm. It means getting to know myself. It means, you know, because you think about it, practicing a breath hold or being in the water, you don't have a phone in your hand. You're not listening to a meditation app. It's just you and your mind. How often do we do that? And it is such an incredible way of getting reacquainted with yourself and, you know, kind of, as I say, all of yourself, even the parts that you don't always like to admit or don't always like to explore. So I was just so grateful that actually I could still do this. And it just made me realize what's important. So obviously there are different facets to the sport, but I think at its core, and I think it's the same for a lot of people, it's what it gives them in terms of personal growth, in terms of a sense of resilience, in terms of realizing actually what they can do. It's quite astonishing. Um, I don't know anything that gives me that same feeling, that sense of autonomy between my body and mind, because they have to work together to be able to do this quite, you know, incredible sport. When you talk about getting to know yourself more, doing it, getting to know the parts of yourself that maybe you don't want to give too much Mm -hmm. um, air to, um, describe what's happening in your mind when you are going down, like it, is it just a vacuum? Are there thoughts? What are like? What are the thoughts that are coming up about yourself? Can I read you something? Yes, please. <laughs> um, this is like the very first paragraph of my book. So, underwater, you don't hear anything. Putting my face in the water is like a sigh of relief for my mind. Internal chatter, judgments, and criticism fade to a white noise. And the rhythmic anchor of my breathing with snorkel lulls me into welcomed quietness. And that's how you begin. So you can imagine if you've spent time in this state of calm acceptance. And, and, you know, I think that's really important, you know, acceptance of, okay, maybe I mightn't be feeling great today. So let's see what I can do. You know, so it's very much being in that moment, be listening to your body. So if you can kind of build that state before a dive, the actual dive itself, it's kind of magical. So the start, and so I'm going to describe it, a discipline called free immersion. So free immersion is pulling down on a rope. Mm-hmm. So efficiency of energy and efficiency of movement is really, really important. For me, I like to sing. Um, you know, it sounds all really ethereal and, you know, very woo-woo. And then suddenly Claire is singing, what shall we do with the drunken sailor? So mm-hmm. you know, I have mixed techniques, but I give something to give me a rhythm. Um, kind of music or a song will always be a bit of a screensaver in my mind. So it could be a Disney song, could be a nursery rhyme, but it's something that I use to set a rhythm for my body. So I'm pulling down, pulling down, what shall we do with the drunken sailor? Whatever I'm singing. And then I reach a stage in the dive where where, um, I become negatively buoyant. That means I don't have to do very much to descend. So essentially, I'm beginning to sink. Now, when you think of blue open water getting darker, I know for a lot of people, the idea of sinking is panic inducing. 
in this context, it's not. It's really liberating because you're you're weightless. Well, you're not actually weightless. You are sinking. Um, but it's like I don't have to do anything. My only job in this moment is to keep my mind and my body as soft and relaxed as possible. And I was speaking to a diver who's shown in the documentary, actually a few of his blackouts are shown. He's a good pal of mine. His name is Stig. And I spoke to him just before I saw it, uh, aware that I would see some of his blackouts. And we were just chatting. He's training. And I said, anyway, describe something about your training session today. I just wanted a hit of, of what it was like and he's describing, you know, who he saw and what his diets are like. And then he said, and then Claire, free fall. And we both just went, oh, so free fall is that weightlessness. And I describe it as flying. It's the closest thing that I'll ever experience to fly, flying. And I say Peter Pan sort of flying, second star to the right sort of flying. It is. It is magical. It's it's humbling as well as really empowering at the same time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And the first time you do that, you know, you're pulling down, you're pulling down. You know, you've not gone that far before, perhaps, and maybe you've done lots of training, you've done all the, the breath work possible to prep in advance, and then you hit that free fall. To, to my mind, that could only be as blissful and soothing as you describe. Were you confident that you were not descending into your death and could get back up again? Was there, I mean, was the first time a little bit more anxiety inducing? So free fall starts actually quite early. It starts at about 20 meters. So chances are you're going to experience it on a dive, um, whether it's to 40 or 60 or someone else to 100. Um, but I remember my first time kind of feeling free fall and you go, Ooh, like, oh, I'm just going to turn. I don't like this at all. There is that sign, that kind of letting go of control, which is really, really difficult. But, you know, you practice the mental aspect of that on that. So you do, there's like, it's just as much part of the training as all the physical side. And again, I think that's the draw of the sport for a lot of people. It's as mental as it is physical. 
So, you know, when you first experience free fall, yeah, it's a little bit, oh, shit, 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 shit. But as soon as those thoughts happen, and this is kind of incredible how that connection between body and mind, as soon as those thoughts happen, it translates into tension in the body, free falls mm-hmm. over. That's when my yeah. diet is finished. So you never get down there and then have the thoughts because if those thoughts are going to come, they will stop you getting down there. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, so you almost need to let them come up at the surface and let let them come out like the way I mean that would always be a go to 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 me for managing anxiety is let yourself think the worst case scenario now in a controlled way so that when you're doing the thing that you need to be sort of on form for they're not going to pop up then at an inopportune time because you've already addressed them and it's not about not having those thoughts or not obviously you like with free diving you you're, you have to risk assess you have to confront every detail of the situation it's not you're not recklessly diving head first in and not you know so there's a lot of getting that information first and then okay my conditions are right now I can do the thing I want to ask you about the period of your life that you say was really defined by mental health struggles and various diagnoses and time spent in hospital and stuff did you notice the tapering off of those experiences as free diving became more prominent like did you attribute obviously it's never just one thing but would you credit free diving with having helped you turn a corner there well yeah I suppose I have to say yes because my whole book is kind of about it (laughs) (laughs) definitely like it started off you know when so 24 2015 I ended up learning free diving and I went back to it 2016 I went back again in 2017 I actually spent the whole year on the island 2018 was my first year I didn't go free diving and by the twin end of 2018, things had gone to shit, essentially, through a series of things. Um, but at that point, you kind of like I associated happy times or um, maybe a true representation of me, maybe, a, you know, a version of Claire that didn't feel so encumbered by, I don't know, being afraid of what people might think or not putting myself forward for things or cursing my eclectic CV and feeling ashamed about it. You know, all those things seem to bubble up, surface and then become magnified at home, home being Ireland, home being, you know, comparing myself to others. So certainly there was a sense of free diving or sorry, excuse me, a sense of freedom associated with going off free diving. And then the sport itself, it kind of the practices around the sport. So when I was diving, I was eating better. I wasn't drinking. I was limiting caffeine intake. I was drinking so much water. Um, I was getting up early. I was stretching. I was meditating. I was doing breath work. Then I was going diving. I'd come back, socialize, but be in bed early. So, so much of the lifestyle is kind of a healthier lifestyle. And, you know, if I found something cropping up mentally, whatever that might be, I wanted to address it because I wanted to go in the water the next day and you can't take that with you. So, you know, I became far more proactive by journaling. I used to do a really cool or a really effective little exercise just before I left for the blue hole, which is in the film or in the you document. Did that? Yeah, yeah. Like that's where I dive is the blue hole in Dahab. Yeah. Um, it's where I met my husband. Yeah. Um, so we used, I used to journal and I used to just set like a, two minutes on the on my clock and write. I'd write every single thing in my head, whether that was, oh, that email really stressed me that yesterday I need to reply to it when I get home. And sometimes I would be scribbling, my hand would be tense right up until the timer went off. And sometimes I'd be writing, 
I'm just writing for the sake of writing. I'm just waiting for the taxi to arrive. So the kind of the deal I made with myself is if I put it down on paper and if there's anything important, I will come back to it later. And I would I would verbally say that. I'm like, that's a very real concern. Okay, I promise I will give this a specific time later. So I kind of became more accountable with the things that came up. And then I'd read back later on going, well, that was a little bit silly. Maybe I was just nervous or maybe I was tired or, you know, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Am I any one of those things? Yes, I was. Okay. You know, so I was able to come at all the thoughts that came up from a more objective or a more rational um, approach. So like that in itself is really empowering. It's, I mean, it's incredible life skills to have with you. That has to change your life. You know, the the diving is just, like you say, all the stuff around it, the diving is just the one behavior, the result or the outcome, but the... All of the scaffolding around it is kind of what has helped you and made you feel as good as I hope you feel today. Yeah, I, that's a word that I haven't thought of, but that is just so perfect scaffolding. That's exactly it. Yeah, I'd love to talk about some of the the techniques. I mean, I'm like, I presume you're giving talks on breath work and you know mindfulness. It's what a no pun intended crash course you must get when you when you do free diving into to how to manage these things um what can we take from it onto land and say for example you know in certain areas of life like nerves are okay um they can they can fuel you i'm assuming with with free diving like you say there you really want to get it all out of your system first because you won't be able to go into free fall it, it, it just won't happen for you what is your almost what sounds like a boot camp way to get your mind ready for something before a performance type of thing? I would say firstly, build an awareness. So I, I'm a voice coach and again, puppetry. So, uh, and I trained as an actor. My point is kind of, you know, this idea of breath support, using your diaphragm, all this kind of thing. That's been in my, I suppose, professional vocabulary for a long, long time. And now it's just as popular as, you know, CrossFit. Breathing is the new CrossFit. Um, But I, I definitely have seen the impact it can have. And yeah, there's lots of programs, lots of courses, there's lots of methods. But for me, the most important one is awareness. We're all breathing, but I think to start, you need to be aware of how you breathe. And once you do that, you can make little changes. So, you know, it's great if you can get into the habit of doing 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes of conscious breathing a day. But I know if I thought, okay, I have to do my my breathing today and it was a thing, I go, okay, I'd wait to the perfect time. High probability that perfect time wouldn't arise in my day. So I'd skip it. So I'd wait till the next day and then end of the week, I haven't really done it. So I try and take the limitations of what it needs to be or what it needs to look like. I know I drink coffee every morning. So to drink coffee, I need to boil the kettle. So I know at least once a day, I will be standing waiting for the kettle to boil. So I use that opportunity to close my eyes and pay attention to how I'm breathing. Just notice, again, it's just bringing an awareness. How are my shoulders when I breathe? Where is my breath? Is it low down moving my belly? Is it moving my my collarbones? 
where is it happening? So I start to just use my breath as a little bit of a, like it gives me information about how I am. And where do we want it to be for for feeling to like you say about getting into the parasympathetic or the rest and digest, yeah. which is where you need to be for free diving, but where we will quell anxiety in our day to day life. What what kind of breathing do you find gets you there? Low and slow, slowing things down and bringing it low into the body. And you know, when when I'm teaching this, I always ask people to my cue is put your thumb in your belly button and your baby finger down towards your pelvis. So essentially you're cupping your lower part to your belly and use your other hand and just rub it across that space and give your body a tactile cue of where you want the movement to be because we're so programmed or we're, you know, it's such a habitual practice to have our shoulders heaving as we, as you know, we're running around and we're busy and we're scrolling and we're this and we're that. And all the movement seems to be contained to the upper part of our body. So I love to just, waiting for that kettle to boil, break, run my hands across the lower part of my belly and remind, remind my body because it does know where the breath needs to come from. And then I might count. So breathing in for a count, I usually do four to eight. So you want the inhale to be shorter than the outhale and start to elongate that that um, exhale, excuse me. And another really nice trick to do this, and it kind of serves two functions, is humming. So your creative vib- uh, vibration, you're triggering your um, vagus nerve, which is a really big part of uh you know calming our nervous system so you're humming and you're doing a slow controlled exhale so i i don't think there's many people that don't have time to hum for mm. two minutes in the shower or while they're making the lunch or whatever it is so my whole point is it doesn't need to be this it doesn't need to start off as this perfect 20 minutes a day practice it can be integrated throughout a day and I find if it's common, if you're doing it often enough in those moments where you need it the most, it'll be easily accessible. And my example is I had a really stressful phone call on Tuesday and afterwards I was flushed. I felt sick because my adrenaline had just surged. I could feel my heart beating. I noticed my breathing. I walked by a mirror and I just saw like almost my boobs and shoulders kind of heaving with short, shallow breaths. And I thought, you know, the temptation was, okay, I'll just, I'll I'll stick on Netflix and I'll just ignore it. But I know all I would do was perpetuate that. I actually needed to be active in calming down. So stuck on my runners, went out to a park just beside my house and walked. And I listened to a piece of music in my earphones, but actively just right, I'm going to breathe in through my nose for four and out to just slow down I just said 10 minutes that's all it takes because I think when we're feeling those levels of anxiety the temptation is to numb them Mm -hmm. to make them go away I don't want to deal with them but certainly for me it gives me a sense of empowerment to know that I can affect a change rather than just dulling it down for it to kind of bubble up again later as you're just about to go down for a dive from watching Alicia in the documentary, I guess she she goes horizontal and it looks like she's doing something very specific with her breath. Is it, this is probably a stupid question, but are you taking a massive breath in and holding it the whole way down or are you expelling it? Because often, I presume you're not expelling it into me, but 
there's such a calmness in the breath in the gap between exhaling and your next inhale like I like when I feel kind of anxious I like to do an exhale and then just like just give it a second to just hit that bottom before kind of rushing back to do a breath is what's happening there just before you go down like that moment just before you go down so that your conditions are right so you take your big breath and what Alicia is doing is called packing so it's essentially just almost sucking in as much more as as much air as possible um, so, you know, you're really, really, really full. Um, and, you know, the, I suppose the whole key to it, and this is something that people can do, you know, in, in lying on their bed, is just really soften into that feeling of fullness. Because if you think about, I don't know about you, but I seldom ever take such a big breath on land. And it, it just again, it's another skill, another lesson in finding comfort and softness amid discomfort. Mm. So physically, she's expanded. She's taken this big breath um, and off she goes on this absolutely mammoth dive. Then she's going to expel whatever is left and start, you know, refueling with oxygen. So that point in the middle, it's well, I call it the pause. And in that pause, there's there's so much to learn about how we handle discomfort, what we tell ourselves about challenges, how our body deals with it, and how we can encourage. And the word I always find myself coming back to is softness, how we can find softness in discomfort, which is obviously a transferable skill. Have you had any scary moments? Yeah, I have. Um. I have blacked out, not under the water, but on the surface. Um, Does that feel like? It feels like nothing. It feels like, I don't know, do you ever get the nightling comb after a night, o- a night out? <laughs> Bus drivers waking you up. It's <laughs> your last stop. It feels like that. Okay. You know, you don't you don't know the point. And then you wake up and you're kind of confused. And I suppose it's more difficult for the people watching. Um, another moment that stands out is the events at the end of the documentary and um, I was diving at the time and I remember we went you were there I I was in Utila at the time but um I I had been corresponding with uh, Steve about free diving um around that time and the next day I went out diving and put my head under the water and loud and clear was the word nope not today get out of the water I didn't get in for another few days um but you know that that nope was the first time I'd heard it and I had to respect it you know there's no forcing your body to do that and that's where you know that kind of that awareness like I I trust my body I trust when my body's being a bit lazy and a bit sneaky and wants to just get to lunch early but also I, I respected that sense of fear or that sad, that sadness or whatever that nope came from. I respected that. It it sounds like you have to develop such a finely tuned sense of awareness of like that trust. And there's no room for ego because your ego will get you into trouble, I guess. You know, you like you said, just for whatever reason that day, you were like, today is not the day. You were feeling compromised in some way. It's fascinating to me that there there really is like such a fine line or there, there's two sides of the same coin between the fear and the and the risk and the like that 
immediate response you had to get out of the water with it being your place of serenity and calmness it's I guess and that can very just easily flip and you have to be so you cannot be I always use the phrase like you have to be awake at the the driving wheel of your own life and then nothing can creep up on you you won't crash the car you'll see things coming that are maybe and so often we're we're asleep at the wheel um and we think that we're not but we really are for whatever reason do you think do you think you have you retain so you're not diving anymore but do you keep that fine tuned finely tuned awareness with you and does it still benefit you to this day how do you feel about not diving and is there a reason why you're not diving so i would love to say that i'm as attuned as as tuned into myself as i am when i'm diving i don't think i am because i'm human it's a practice it is a practice and you know i i follow other things down rabbit holes um but I, I do think I have a really, really good baseline. Um, and, and the example is Tuesday uh, after that phone call. Like I knew what to do. I didn't have to think about or Google anything. Like I did it without thinking. And, and that's definitely come from a place of just lots and lots and lots and lots of practice. Um, well, I think that's wonderful because I think a lot of the time people listening to this might be looking for someone to say, I just don't get like that anymore or I don't ever have those feelings. And it's just such an like that's just not human being. If you know, if you're some Zen master that you are incapable or you are above and beyond stress and anxiety. Well, I can't relate to that. It's it's feeling it, letting it happen and how you respond to it. And that's where the word for me, the phrase owning it comes into play. I think it's so important. And I actually probably think it's the most important thing. I remember back in those, let's call them the dark days, you know, someone asked me, so are you better now? And I remember going, what if I'm never better? You know, so I would experience a period of feeling better and then it all kicks off again. And I felt such a failure. And now, you know, I, I, I'm lucky enough to get to chat to really cool people like you and you know, other podcasts. And I'm always really conscious of, I suppose, how I put myself forward because I'm still really messy. Some days it looks like that woman has her shit together. And then other days I'm on the couch in pajamas with sewage cream all over my face, just not wanting to look at the world, you know? And I think the super thing is both can coexist. And it goes back to that idea of fear. And I I recently did a TED talk and that was the kind of theme of it. I don't think that to be successful or, you know, to be deemed as, you know, winning life, I don't think that fear goes away. I know for me it doesn't. No. But now how we react to it again, it's the the owning it. And I like to match fear with, I call it playful curiosity of just like, all right, I am afraid. So what can I do in this space? You know, what? how far can I get? while also acknowledging fear um, and it's it, it, it's that kind of coupling of both or you know both can coexist and I sometimes hope and I that my curiosity will take fear by the hand and redirect it a little bit I don't 100% think agree yeah I don't think fear is a bad thing it's taught me a lot it's it's moved me places far more than sometimes positive feelings do so you know I, I'm always very clear of like I haven't got it sorted out, but I'm trying. I am trying and I'm trying to be brave in that moving forward. And in terms of the long COVID, is that improving for you? Uh, 
What what is like? What does it feel like? What is on I mean- COVID? My my main symptom was uh, chronic fatigue. Um, for much of twenty twenty one, I spent um, flat on my back with the curtains closed. Uh, How did that impact your mental health? Oh, 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 it was grim. That was grim. Um, that was really really dire actually because not only can you not do the things that I had relied on for to improve my sense of well-being, which is go for a walk or go to the gym or swim. I couldn't do any of that. I couldn't socialize. Um, I couldn't earn money, which is then obviously other stresses. Whoa. Yeah, it was really, really dark. And, you know, you don't know if this is going to end. It has improved considerably. I'd say, I'm, you know, I, I'm really lucky in that. Um, excuse me, I've had people help me. Uh, a terrific woman uh, named Neve Reed. She's on Instagram as Exploring Ireland. She has chronic fatigue and suffers from chronic migraine. And she just was a wealth of information. So suddenly I didn't feel as alone. That isolation was was really, really difficult. I also work with a terrific trainer, Colin McAdoo, and he has helped me get back to a training schedule while being really conscious of my energy. Like he's been, he's so flexible. He's so patient with me. Um, so at least, you know, a little bit of a structure has helped. Um, but yeah, I am. I think I've been quite lucky and there are people who haven't recovered the way I have. And I'm, I think the main thing is the fear that it'll come back because mm. the start of this year, there was another huge dip of for about six months. Or I guess if you, if you get another kind of virus that, you know, a seasonal thing, it, will it hit you harder or? Exactly. Like I had, you know, my book came out in March and it's being aware that there are going to be lots of things that I will have to turn up to. So I just didn't know. So any time that I wasn't doing something for the book, I was lying down almost like banking energy. Yeah, of course. Really nerve wracking. And so it does leave you in a sense of uncertainty uh, around what you can turn up for. Yeah, and then I guess there's a managing of that health anxiety element as well and not catastrophizing or wondering, you know, what that will look like, which is a whole other episode and conversation because it's something people really feel. Um, How was it for you watching the documentary? Very tough. Yeah. Very tough. Um, Laura kindly invited me and my husband to a family and friends screening in the lighthouse. Um, We were there with a lot of Steve's family. Wow. Um, and I, I I know his his stepsister and I've um, met his his stepmom briefly and we actually were sitting behind them. Um, I came out of it and just had to go. I I congratulated Laura, and then I just Laura to, Irish. Yeah, Laura. I think she's originally from Kildare and she also lives in uh, Greystones. And I I know her from swimming up there. Um, I think she did a terrific job. I just didn't quite know how I felt. I still don't, to be honest with you. Uh, I found this start of a really beautiful. It made me yearn for free diving. It made me sad that I wasn't doing it. And then, you know, I see these characters, which are people, um, people that I know or certainly know of. Um, so I'm watching it through a different gaze. And then, you know, there's the bit at the in, kind of towards the end where they're showing the competition in vertical blue. Like I was just catapulted to where I was. I was watching that. Mm. Um, and then the, the, this was the culmination of the documentary um, where I was that day. And uh, it was, like I, I know a lot of the people that were there. One of them was my coach. Um, 
so it's a really it's a tough watch um listening to some of the radio shows since where people are complaining about free divers not having a regard for their health or for their safety you know I've got it, it. I mean I don't know how that could come across that there's no regard for safety yeah like you know I think I understand, you know, like people have very strong opinions. People, everyone's talking about it. Um, people have strong opinions about it. And it's, I'm kind of often torn between like, I sometimes I'm in the position, put in the position where I feel like I have to defend the sport, which is uncomfortable. And then at the same time, I think it's a terrific testament to his legacy, mm-hmm. which he deserves. Yeah, well, it, it, from a complete outsider perspective, it was just illuminating and um, fascinating and really, I think, beautifully told and um, immediately made me want to to have this chat with you because it just opened my eyes up to a, a whole other way of a, a coping mechanism that is, seems so unlikely for people managing all, all kinds of things in life. Um, and... So yeah, do you do you do you want to get back in the water to dive at some point? I, <laughs> um, I I play shopping. I window shop flights regularly. I'm thinking, or when I'm talking about free diving, I'm usually describing depth diving, which is usually done in warmer waters. Free diving can be done here, of course, and there are um, some terrific instructors. Um, but yeah, like I I suppose I'm trying to, you know, I'm I'm very lucky. I've been asked to do. You know, I'm a speaker and I have lovely events coming up that I'm really excited about. So I suppose I'm I'm committed to staying in Ireland to do that. Um, but my husband is Egyptian. So, you know, Egypt is somewhere that we'll always return to. Um, I would like a block of time that I can dedicate to freediving. Um, and again, just you mentioned something earlier on about, you know, the not knowing. Um, and I think that's in a that's a place where I'm in now. And again, it, it, it's it's testing out those skills. So I don't know when I can free dive. So what I can do in the meantime is practice all these things so that when I can grab a month or two months where I can afford to leave, leave Ireland, I'll go. But I'll have a really strong foundation. I'm sure you will. You in this conversation and for me and, and for anyone reading your book, you will have no doubt inspired people um, to take the practices that you've learned and it's just like your title, your subtitle is just so perfectly put in, in how it teaches you to to live, you know, in your day to day life. What's something like that, how that unlikely source of uh, freedom and and like it's like a, what my was it my octopus teacher. You're, you had your free diving teacher that taught you about how to live. Um, so, Claire, thank you so much for um, for sharing everything. Remind us again of the book and where it's available. Uh, my book is available in any good bookshop. It's called Underwater, How Holding My Breath Taught Me to Live. Um, it's on audio as well. And you can also find my TED Talk, which is called How Holding My Breath Taught Me to Live. Uh, unreal. Not everyone can say you can find my TED Talk. And if people want to find you on Instagram, are you... Are you um, at Claire Walsh Life and at ClaireWalshLife.com for my website.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.